Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? Thank you again for tuning in to another great episode of Mitten Money. Hope all of you out there have been having a great summer. The weather has certainly gotten that message and it has been hot. Looking for some ways to try and beat the summer heat? One great and sweet way of doing that is via ice cream, which in Michigan is home to several historic brands. Today, I'll be giving you all the inside scoop on how three ice cream companies truly set themselves apart. First up, I'll be talking with Tim from Michigan Cream and Sugar of Bay City. Next, I'll be chatting with Chris of Love's Ice Cream and Chocolate of Grand Rapids. And last but certainly not least, I'll be talking with John of Moomer's Homemade Ice Cream of Traverse City. So first up, Tim from Michigan Cream and Sugar. So Tim, I'm sure it's everyone's dream to grow up and become a chief ice cream maker. So outside of eating some delicious ice cream, how did you get involved into your current position? Yeah, so like many people, my story kind of happened by accident. It was a happy accident. I have been in the food industry probably for 10, 15 years. And I was working at uh, Horizons Conference Center in Saginaw starting back in 2018. And I was working in the garden room there and just kind of putting together different menu items for the daily buffet they used to have. And Horizons at the time was partnered with Michigan Milk Producers Association and Michigan Sugar Company to try to launch an ice cream shop. So I was aware that that was happening, but I was more on the, you know, the event side of things. And along came 2020 and conference centers weren't doing a whole lot of conferences at the time. So, you know, I was just kind of at home like the rest of us trying to wait things out. And then later that summer, I got a call that asked me if I wanted to come and help out at the ice cream shop in Bay City. And I said, absolutely. Of course, I'd love to. And so it kind of happened by accident. So I've been here at the ice cream shop since the middle of 2020. I'm just kind of learning growing, kind of making it up as we went along, navigating COVID, coming out of that and trying to grow the business and develop better ice cream flavors and showcase what Michigan has to offer in terms of Michigan's products and what their farmers grow here. So that that's how I kind of ended up in the position that I'm at now. Definitely. No, it sounds really intriguing. And so something interesting that I noticed, especially when you were just mentioning a little bit about your background and the background with cream and sugar is how you guys source your ingredients. And so could you share a little bit about how you prioritize local based products? Yeah, that is a great question. That's the reason for our existence, right? Is to showcase Michigan's crops through, you know, artisanal top quality ice cream. And so it all starts with the milk and the cream and the sugar. So it starts with a foundation of sugar grown by local beet farmers that I get right from Michigan Sugar's facility here. I just picked up a pallet of it last week, actually. I drove a box truck over to the plant and picked up a pallet of sugar because we've been busy this season so far. And it starts with milk. So our milk comes from Livonia, down by Detroit, from Michigan Milk Producers Association, farmers. And they have a processing facility named Michigan Dairy is the name of the company that does it. And then our cream comes from Grand Rapids. So it's all locally sourced. The foundation is locally sourced. But it, it's so much more than that. So we're not just here to, to showcase milk, cream, and sugar. For any of our mix-ins or variegates is what the ice cream makers like to call them. Like for our coffee flavor we just launched, you know, the coffee comes from locally roasted espresso beans roasted here on site in Uptown at a neighboring business, Live Oak Coffee. We have a carrot cake flavor. The carrots come to us 
by a, a Michigan-based company in, in Traverse City called Cherry Capital. So they source carrots from across the state. And I've been working throughout the past few years to grow my network of local local people, local farmers. I just bought five gallons of maple syrup off of a gentleman in the thumb by the name of Mark Newbegin. And he has some award-winning maple syrup that he brought out to me. And so we have a maple syrup flavor. We work with a local St. Laurent Brothers. They are a nut distributor here for our cashews in Bay City. Yeah, I could go on about that. So blueberries, we're doing something with Bain's Apple Valley this fall for an apple cider donut. But it's not just the ingredients. I'm working locally with other businesses for our shirts, for our uniforms, or the shirts that we sell. We go through a place called Shirts Mugs and More that has their own screen printing press on location in Essexville here. Or if we need signage, we go through Seabold Signs, which is owned by a gentleman in Frankenmuth. So it's at the core of what we do. Everything, as much as possible, is locally sourced, made from scratch. And then we try to communicate that to our guests about, you know, did you know that Michigan is the second most diverse state for agriculture behind California? Or we'll tell them, you know, we grow 80 million pounds of blueberries last year. Or we'll tell people about where the carrots came from, where the maple syrup came from. And as time goes on, we're trying to do more and more of that local sourcing. So, yeah. Of course, you know, it means I can only imagine a lot for your business, but then also a lot for the community being able to go show the support, you know, not only buying the products from them, but then be able to actually go put that within some very interesting creations as well. So that's really intriguing. So something that's very similar to farming and farming these different products, I can imagine, is the seasonality that comes with being within the ice cream business itself. And so while people can always indulge in ice cream in the winter, I can imagine it's definitely not going to beat having a nice ice cream sundae, a nice ice cream sandwich outside in the hot weather. And so how do you guys spend your winter months to help support the summer months? Yeah, that is a great question. So we settled on a season that starts in early March and goes through Halloween. I will eat ice cream all year round and lots of people tell me the same, but the reality is it works best on a seasonal basis. So in the off season, I spend a lot of time on recipe development. You know, I have a cheesecake flavor coming up that I developed in the off season. I have a a raspberry macaron flavor that I kind of put the groundwork into place in the off season for those two upcoming flavors. I do a lot on the back end. There's a lot of logistics that go into running a business. So a lot of organization, a lot of planning. We work on staffing ahead of the season. There's a lot of cleanup and maintenance that gets done in the off season. We're a very high traffic location in the summer. So we try to plan around those things for our season. And then continuing education, right? So in the off season last year, I went to the ice cream short course at Penn State where like Ben and Jerry went. So it's a well-known ice cream education program just to kind of expand my knowledge about like the science behind ice cream and how to make better ice cream. So those are some of the things that I do in the off season. Yeah. Yeah, definitely really cool. And I'm happy you brought up the staffing perspective because Cream and Sugar, your guys' business has been really recognized locally here in the community of having high quality customer service. And it's consistent across whether you're the first customer in the door, you're halfway through the day, or really you're right around closing time. And so how do you guys ensure that top high quality experience for your customers, whether you're one person coming from Midland or maybe you're coming from across the state to go try your ice cream out? Yeah. So that's a great question. And this is something I'm passionate about. It starts with the culture. It starts with respecting your employees. It starts with making it a good place to work. We make sure that our staff, if you come in, they're not stressed out. You know, they're not like under pressure. The line will be out the door, but they're having a good time. Like they're happy to talk with the guests. Each guest gets their own individual experience. We make sure that our staff are happy. And if our staff are happy, our guests are happy. I like to say that it's it's a great place for a first job because 
We respect our employees. That's the bottom line. We get most of our employees through referrals. So, hey, my friend says this is a great place to work. Can I come work for you? You know, so that's really the secret. If you want to know the secret behind our customer service, we put our people first. Absolutely. And so I'm sure putting the people first, having happy guests and customers out there have probably led to opening a second location, Old Town Saginaw. So congratulations on that. I can imagine that's very much in the plans, but is there anything you can share with the listeners just a little more about that whole process? Because I think that you guys actually received a grant to help open that second location. We did. So the cat's out of the bag on the grant, right? Michigan Economic Development Council did award us a grant. It's been publicized in the grant. It says for $25,000 to get some renovations done in Old Town, which I think is a great area. As you said, it is still in the plans. So we don't have a final announcement. We're still working on putting some things into place, but that has been announced and we're a growing location. We've been exceptionally busy this year and I'm just so grateful for all the support from the community. So to make more ice cream, you know, eventually we're going to need more space. We're not leaving Uptown like we love this area. And so any expansions would be in addition to the shop we have currently. But we're always looking to bring our ice cream to more people and more populations and more areas. So those are some plans that we'll be announcing when they're finalized. That's great. And just for everyone listening to the podcast, we are recording this in mid-April. And so to already be busy in mid-April must mean that you guys have a high-quality product. And so that's amazing to hear. So Tim, if people want to go find the shop, find out more about yourself, maybe find out about your latest and I shouldn't say crazy, but latest and interesting ideas when it comes to ice cream, how can people get in contact or find out more? Yeah. So our website is creamsugarbaycity.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Cream Sugar Bay City. And our location is in Bay City, Michigan at 160 Uptown Drive. So check us out on socials, go on our website or come visit us in person. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Next up, we'll be chatting with Chris of Love's Ice Cream and Chocolate. So Chris, do you mind giving a background for our listeners out there? I think the switch you made from e-commerce to the food industry is definitely interesting. Yeah. So the story begins with a tale of me wanting to be a rock and roller and perform shows around the country with the band that I played in. And I needed to have a stream of income to support me and my family while we did that. So I left my marketing job and started a little business developing e-commerce websites. That allowed me to work from the road and still pursue this dream of making music a career. So did that for the better part of four years, toured the country with my best friends and got to kind of live out that a little bit. And once we settled down on the touring front, gave me time to focus on the business, developing a client base and, and developing some software products that we would sell as kind of a package. It became clear to me that working 14 hours a day, seven days a week was unsustainable. And in parallel to that, I started turning my attention toward food and I was sparked by learning where the ingredients come from, what makes a quality ingredient or a top caliber ingredient, how to prepare them. is not something I came into adulthood knowing or understanding. So that piqued my interest in food. And so at the time that I realized I wanted to get out of e-commerce web development, my interest in food was growing and decided to call up a competitor, ask them if they wanted to buy my business. And they did. And we made that deal happen. And then I was sort of left with some time and money on my hands, which is kind of a fun combination to have 
and I thought, okay, I'm going to do something with this in food. I don't know what yet, but I'm going to start networking, start poking my head out there to see what I can come across. At that time, our city of Grand Rapids, Michigan was developing the downtown market. It's like a urban food hall, a number of like 20 plus artisan type food vendors, some other components to it. And that really intrigued me at the time. This is about 2012 when the news of this was emerging. So kind of set my sights on that, got in touch with the people in charge. And that's kind of what started the story of Love's Ice Cream back in 2013, we launched. So that was kind of my traversing the journey from music through e-commerce into food. Yeah, definitely really intriguing. So just a quick question just off the top of my head that comes about with that. How long was that process from, okay, you know what? I think I have this great idea for an ice cream store, loves ice cream, to actually opening up the shop and scooping that first scoop of ice cream? Sure. So turning around that idea, you know, because I was learning to cook on my own at home, really trying to figure out why is some food so delicious and another not. This came from a place of extreme ignorance. I really knew nothing about food. I wasn't taught how to cook growing up or anything. So I went to culinary school in that gap after I sold the business. And while I was networking and figuring out my plans, I had a few different ideas from pizzeria brewery to manufacturing ice cream. And because our city didn't have, there was kind of a a hole in the market for this type of ice cream, a made from scratch artisan ice cream. That was the path I chose. And so it took about, I want to say it was about a year of planning from the time that the leasing committee for the landlord said, we would like you to be a tenant and gathering all the information. I had no idea what I was doing. So I had been running a business, but this was a totally different style. So it was completely remote. All my team was scattered around the country. I had people that worked in China. It was a very small company, but it was still, nonetheless, it was, you know, we didn't have an office. We didn't have uh, capital expenditures like equipment that we needed. It was everyone had their own computer and an internet connection. And that was about the extent of the overhead. So it took, yeah, about a year of planning, business plan, projections, equipment, planning and sourcing, design, layout, build out, all that was about one year to open. Yeah, definitely pretty interesting. And so something that I noticed with your company, you guys offer a lot of vegan, gluten-free and dairy-free options on your menu. Now, this is pretty interesting from the perspective that not a lot of other places might have offered these options. And so exactly towards what you just mentioned with starting an ice cream company and realizing that there's a hole within the market... Was that some of the reasons or rationale behind why you wanted to focus on some of those different options? Because for me, I'm a big chocolate guy. And so pretty much any chocolate combination of ice cream, I would love to focus in on. And I wouldn't even start to think about those other options that are available. Yeah, I think it's a mixture. I think my perspective on it has always been, this could be a whole separate podcast, but the food industry processes the ingredients to many orders of magnitude greater than what probably many people realize. And the further away you go from that original source, the more our bodies have a more difficult time understanding what to do with it. And so we end up having a lot of people in this country, especially that have dairy intolerance because of that very fact. Now, there are some inherent lactose intolerance and casein protein intolerance, things like this. This is anecdotal. 
So this is not, you know, scientific numbers, but in my experience as a proprietor of a minimally processed ice cream company, we see a lot of people who can consume our dairy ice cream and they can't eat any from the grocery store or consume fluid milk from the grocery store. And I believe that's due to the level of processing, but we also source grass-fed organic milk that's not homogenized. So my position has always been, let's give everyone a seat at the table because some people either choose to not consume cow's milk or their bodies, it doesn't agree with them for whatever reason, like whether it's from the industrially processed milk or if they're just genetically predisposed to be intolerant to some of the components of the milk. So it always just seemed fair and also interesting to me to develop products that are as good or on par with to give these people the same experience that they would get in the dairy ice cream. So that's kind of where it came from. But then that ripples out into other foods like nuts that some people are intolerant to, wheat and other common allergens or foods that people are intolerant to. So that's, I think, where it stemmed from is really giving everybody a seat at the table to the best of our ability. And it's, yeah, it's become a big part of what we do and what we're known for. So we'll never stop embracing the tried and true classic cow's milk ice cream, but we try to do it in the best way we can so that as many people can enjoy it, but then also making sure that people who can't or don't want to can have an equally delightful experience. Sure. And I can imagine that that focus within the process and being able to go source to what you mentioned, the specific ingredients to really go create a product like that definitely makes it special and probably has increased popularity quite a bit for your product. And so also in doing research, I noticed that you guys ship products to you know all over the US. And so for yourself, how did those opportunities come up for you to go expand like this? Because I can imagine for any business, I mean, certainly you hope to be popular within you know, your hometown or maybe your region, like the Grand Rapids metropolitan area, maybe a bigger dream to be known across the state, but across the US, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning that optics can have a lot, or I should say, you know, perception can influence how things appear from the outside versus how they are in reality. So that one in particular, nationwide shipping is really just an initiative that I said, I want to do. And I did the work to make it happen. It's a very small piece of our business right now. But really, I think it was born out of all the restrictions that were placed upon businesses like ours in 2020 that said, you need to start looking for other ways to be able to reach customers if your general or your tried and true ways are being taken away from you. So we moved to online ordering, which was big in that stretch of time. It's tapered off now. We still do orders through our website. We still do the delivery platforms like DoorDash and Uber Eats. But being able to ship something very special anywhere in the country is A, being frozen is not cheap because we have to have a special insulated cooler box with dry ice and overnight shipping. So it took kind of a multi-pronged approach to figure out, okay, how can we source the packaging and the cooler insulation that still met our standards of being as low impact as possible to the environment. So, you know, the whole box that you would get is either compostable or curbside recyclable. 
And, you know, we can still improve that, but some of the materials are just not readily available to businesses our size yet. So I seized that opportunity to try to expose our brand to a wider audience. And I hope that it would grow organically. It's been very slow, but it's been very meaningful and that the people that love our brand locally can ship one of their favorite things across the country to their friends and family. And people that move away from Grand Rapids and miss us, we find people shipping it to themselves on occasion. So it's kind of a neat program. It's a lot of work for us to do. We have to inventory all these coolers. It takes up a lot of space. We have to go get dry ice and ship out every week. So it's a process, but one that is a good addition to the overall offering that we have. Someone visits from out of town and loves the experience and they want to ship it back home, ship to a relative. It makes sense. And it's, yeah, it's not like we can just ship a a t-shirt any time of year in a little bag and it, we can go the slowest method possible. No, we have to have the whole works to make sure that it gets there safely and it preserves the integrity of the product. Of course. Now I appreciate you mentioning, especially with such depth too. I think for a lot of people, you know, it gets to their door, but they really don't understand the mechanics and the ABCs behind how it got there. So that's really intriguing. And so Chris, for people who want to learn more about Love's Ice Cream yourself, or maybe go connect with yourself, your business, what are the best resources for the listeners out there? Yeah. Instagram and Facebook are our social media outlets, Love's Ice Cream GR. And our website is lovesicecream.com. That would have everything you want to know about what we do, what we're about, how to purchase from our store, how to ship nationwide. All those things are available there. Perfect. And thank you, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And last, I'll be finishing our conversation with John of Moomer's Homemade Ice Cream of Traverse City. So John, while it's hard to find someone who doesn't know about Moomer's in Northern Michigan, could you share a little more about your background and company and why your ice cream store is also located on a farm? Yeah. So my mom, Nancy, former first grade teacher of 27 years, had an idea next to our operating dairy farm is to build an ice cream parlor. My dad, Bob, being a builder, mason, farmer, jack of all trades, master of none, was the ideal partner to go into business and build this endeavor. So she took a year's leave of absence as a first grade public educator and started Moomer's Homemade Ice Cream next to our 80-acre operating dairy farm. Our store overlooks our front third of our pasture. And that's kind of part of the Moomer's experience is, number one, a stellar, top-notch quality product that we continue to thrive to produce. And then also, secondly, an out-of-the-city, out-in-the-country farm setting, also kind of shooting the agricultural horn to where food really does come from. I can certainly see that. And I must ask the question now that it comes up. And so I've been in the store before, but just to confirm, the cows that overlook, you know, when you're outside the store, outside in the kind of backyard area, when I'm overlooking the farm, those are the cows that actually help produce the Moomer's ice cream, correct? Some. So two different businesses that we own. One is Moomer's Homemade Ice Cream and the other is Moomer's Farm Creamery. So all of the milk that our cows produce is processed in Moomer's Farm Creamery. And if we have enough surplus cream and milk, we'll run a batch of ice cream mix, Moomer's Farm Creamery. We'll sell that to Moomer's Homemade Ice Cream, where we will churn it into ice cream and sell to our customers. But nothing's really changed on the dairies in 30 years. Things that our ice cream parlor over the past 26 
have drastically changed. So in order for us to keep up with volume and demand, we do purchase in a 15% ice cream mix. And then from that point, we will flavor it and put it through our batch freezers and make our homemade ice cream at Moomers. Certainly. And so talking a little bit about, you know, over time, over the last 26 years operating Moomers, what made you interested in diving into products outside the traditional ice cream? Now, don't get me wrong. The ice cream is absolutely delicious. It is worth the hype. But what made you interested in diving within products outside the traditional ice cream? Yeah. So we've learned that we are in the people business and those who frequent Moomers are the voting members, if you will. So if we get to pay attention and create relationships and have conversations and truly see what folks want, and we, it's our duty and job to listen to them and come up with those products that may be of interest, anywhere from an ice cream cake, birthday cake, to eggnog uh, that we run seasonally. We've started a cult-like following with that. And last year, we did a Christmas in July where we ran eggnog. So a little taste of Christmas in the middle of July and folks loved it. But then from there, any flavor recommendations we take and kind of digest and throw in our flavor idea box. And if and when we're looking for something fun or if it's gray and gloomy out for a week and we need to offer something different and unique, we might run a new flavor and debut it and folks can come in and try something different. You have to listen. You have to be aware. You have to be present rather than get stuck in the rut of this is all we do. This is the only product that we offer. So we're always willing and able to try something different and unique. We've definitely had some failures. Uh, asparagus ice cream didn't go too well. We did take it to asparagus festival, but that's about the only place that you could even think of asparagus ice cream as it asparagus festival, of course. Of course. And I think one of the most impressive things, John, that I've seen about Moomers was that it was voted the best ice cream shop in America by Good Morning America. And so how did that whole process even transpire? So in 2008, pre-social media, Good Morning America Weekend Edition had a best scoop shop challenge. There were, I believe, two criteria. It was a customer-nominated contest. The criteria were you had to own less than five stores. We own one. You had to make your own ice cream. We make all of our own ice cream. So we met the criteria. Customer by the name of Lisa nominated us. And the nominating winner, so whoever nominated the winning store, received a full package, travel package out to New York to the GMA studio and lodging and flights and spending cash. So it was kind of in their interest to follow this contest. So we were nominated. They chose 10 to vote on. And we were one of the winning 10. And then from there, they voted again to narrow it down to four. The four stores that were chosen, then GMA would go and tape and do a 45-second blip on each location. One in Florida, one out east, I believe, in Jersey, and then one in Sacramento, California, and then ourselves. So after that taped and aired for the last time, it was go to Good Morning America and vote for your favorite ice cream store. And then we linked it onto our website and we kind of did push and, you know, offer our customers, hey, we're in this contest. It's kind of fun. And they got behind it and we ended up winning it. And they called on Friday of Memorial Day weekend. They said, oh, how's the weather up there? 
announcements, great, of course. And by the way, you guys won. We'll be there tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for a simulcast. They'll send up sound and camera from Detroit. And we said, that's awesome. However, dad's not even up to milk cows to go into the barn at 6 a.m. yet. So we're going to be on national TV and we're going to have an empty building. What do we do? So we took it to the extent of we invited all of our staff to come in. Anyone who did show up received double time. No one was required to show up. They all showed up to work. And then we opened up to the community free ice cream tomorrow morning between 6 and 9 a.m. I bet there were, I don't know, six, 700 people here to help support our winning. So it was a phenomenal situation that we couldn't have planned for. And if kind of fell in our lap. And from there was the start of what I consider our tipping point, a Malcolm Gladwell book, by the way, for us to really get off and get running. And these opportunities don't come often. So we were humbled to have it happen to us. And since then, it's just been off to the races. So I can certainly see that, especially from a national perspective too, being able to win a contest like that, have the community support really just test really means so much for the individual product itself. And so something that I also like to go do with Moomers, you know, besides eating the ice cream, is also following the social media page, which can sometimes make me hungry depending on what time of the day I check it out. But how do you guys think about pushing and also publishing the right kind of content to post? Because you want to post frequently to, you know, really help stay top of mind for the people and the fans out there, but you also don't want to publish too much to where, oh, it's another post. Oh, it's another post. And so how do you think about striking that balance, but then also thinking about how to publish the right stuff too? Great question. What are the rules of social media, right? So we like to be engaged in social when we have something fun or different or unique or an event, a new product, or even sometimes the old classic. So I think overposting, just our philosophy would be too much rather than saturate it and post daily. We don't have a social media plan. If something fun or unique or we haven't posted in a while, then it's a great time to think of something to put out there. But then we also have kind of a yearly track record of, hey, we do some of these same things on these unique times of the year, you know, opening in March and getting into the spring season through the summer and then some of our fall activities. So it really just depends on what's going on, what the time of year is, if we have anything to offer, if we're hooked up with a another community event, a, a fundraiser or something along those lines. But we also have a really easy stage and setting to make some fun, memorable content with both the ice cream parlor, an 80-acre dairy farm and cows, a creamery. So there's a lot going on for us to find appropriate Moomers topics. Certainly, that sounds great. So, John, for those people who want to learn more about Moomers or yourself, what are some of the best resources for the listeners out there? Yeah, easy one. Moomers.com. That's the easy one that can direct you really anything that you need to contact us for any of your ice cream or dairy needs. Thanks, John. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another great episode of Mint Money. You've been listening to Mitten Money. Sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. <laughs>